0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. White Lake family, those are the words of author C.S. Lewis. In the preface of his book that many of you I know have read, it's a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in this book, what Lewis is doing in this preface is explaining the counsel that the senior devil Screwtape offers to his nephew as he begins his demonic career. Lewis explains that the two primary heirs that believers make When we think of the spirit world, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. The errors move in opposite directions, and yet they are both in error. On one side, pay the spirits no attention, think nothing of their work in the world. That's one side. Or we pay them too much attention so much attention that we become obsessed with the evil and the demonic and the dark things in our world. Now, as Lewis points out to us, both sides are in error. Both approaches are in error. You see, to ignore and act as if the spiritual realm of demons does not exist is in fact wrong for a Christ follower. I want to be very clear about that this morning but so too is the practice of glorifying ghosts and witches and evil. I think it's intriguing that we are looking at this text at this particular time of year, because if your neighborhood looks anything like mine, it seems to be that we're glorifying and honoring this type of work in our world. I have to be honest with you this morning, it grieves my heart when I drive into my neighborhood and I literally see both errors on display. Some who don't think anything of the spiritual nature of their seasonal decorations. It's just a season, it's just a holiday, I'm going to participate, I don't think anything of it. Or you have others who glorify the dark side, the spiritual things in the world that many just simply don't understand the power of. Lewis exhorts believers are to be aware and to be discerning when it comes to these things. You'd say, well, what does that look like? What am I as a Christ follower to do in terms of thinking and considering the spirit world? What am I to make of the world of demons and of darkness? If you're thinking that and wrestling with that in this season, I have good news for you today. We are going to look at one of the more bizarre, unique, interesting stories in all of Scripture. And Jesus is going to give us some guidance on how you and I can consider the spiritual world and how it connects with you and how it connects with me. But as we always do, before we turn to God's Word... Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge today in this season of time that we see an awful lot of darkness in our world. And yet you are the light. We see darkness in the forms of wars. We see darkness in many different avenues in our world, whether it's on the internet or in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our, even in our families. We see darkness taking over in many ways. And God, as your people, we desire to push against it. We desire not to be an heir of ignoring it, but also not to be an heir of paying too much attention to it. We desire for your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to guide us and to lead us into your truth. That's the only way we survive, God. As your followers, that is how we survive when we lean and depend upon your truth, God. So in this moment, Lord, we ask for eyes to see the truth of your word clearly. We ask that you would allow us to hear the truth of your word clearly. And then God, give us humble hearts that we might be able to live out the truth of your word in the week ahead and we ask this humbly in Jesus name amen well last saturday church family pastor kevin helped us see that jesus reigns amidst the storms of life and i think all of us who were here would recognize that we are grateful that he does because there are plenty of storms going on in each of our lives And throughout our series, we've seen from Mark's gospel that Jesus establishes his rule and reign. We saw that in Mark chapter 1. We saw then that God calls his followers to allegiance of his reign. And then Jesus emphasizes that his reign takes root in our hearts as we submit to God's word, to the work of the Holy Spirit through his word. Finally, God helps us see how his reign Advances, expands, goes out through the faithfulness of God's people. And so that's why we're calling our series, Thy Kingdom Come. Because as a church, we desire to see Jesus truly reign and rule in our lives, in the life of our church, and in our community. That's our heart. That's what we're doing as we look to Mark 2 five today. That's our heart's desire. So I want you to grab your Bible, and we're going to read a portion of scripture that one commentator calls both vivid and eerie. All right, Mark chapter five. If you have your Bible, we're going to be on page 840. We're looking at Mark chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can follow along on the screens behind me. So turn with me, and we're going to work our way through the story this morning. Mark chapter 5. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met, met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. And he fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Uh, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. Can we all agree that's weird? (laughs) That is just incredibly strange, isn't it? And yet in the midst of that bizarre story, what we see Jesus doing is, in fact, what Jesus does. When we read this story, we shouldn't be surprised by who Jesus shows himself to be. What we see is Jesus being intentional. What we see is Jesus being compassionate. And finally, what we see him practicing is his sovereignty. We see Jesus entering into this terrifying situation, one of the most bizarre and disturbing stories in all of Scripture, and he is showing his authority. see, because the story is rather different... I want to unpack it for us this morning. I want us to kind of parse it out a little bit and make sure we have some key details for you and I to understand what's going on here. Now, first, the scene setting is important as the story actually takes place at night. We know this because of what it says in Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So it's evening, It's dark. Next, where Jesus' boat comes ashore, it was among a place of many limestone caves. Pretty eerie location because those caves were often used as tombs for dead bodies. You guys getting the picture here? It's dark. It's night. You're hanging out around tombs. And that's when a man approaches. But make no mistake, this is not any man. This is not just a guy coming out to greet Jesus. This is a dangerous man. This is a man who is demon-possessed. This meant that there were unclean spirits, servants of Satan who dwelt within him. Servants of Satan are dwelling within this man. Now, let's take a deeper look at the the significance of what Jesus is experiencing. In this moment, Jesus comes ashore and he is confronted by a man with brute strength. He's been living among the tombs, among the dead bodies, and so he is unclean. The man who is then crying out and cutting himself on jagged rocks, in spite of the battle that wages within him, this man makes a mad dash for the shore. He wants to interact with Jesus. The scene is intense. There's no question about it. It is intense. Back at verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now the demon within this within this man is telling him to leave me alone. Make no mistake. What's happening in this moment is warfare in this man's heart. There is a battle for this man's soul. And that's exactly where Jesus shows his compassion. That's exactly where Jesus shows his sovereign power by calling out the demon's name. And the demon replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. This may seem strange to us as we first read this text. might seem a little weird, and it is. But when we consider a couple facts, it actually tells us a little bit of a deeper story of the battle that was waging within this man. You see, a Roman military regiment was about 6,000 troops. They were known as legions. These regiments were people who brought terror and death and destruction. So many scholars will, believe, will tell you that what this is meant to show us is that Jesus is not simply doing battle in a spiritual realm with one man. He is going to war with many demons. A multitude of demons is what's happening in this moment. One thing in this clear The man had been and in this moment continues to be ravaged by the dark spirits of our world. Make no mistake about that. And yet it is into this situation that the power of Jesus is most clearly displayed. Look back at verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about how many? Two thousand rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and they drowned in the sea. Friends, that is a powerful display of authority. Jesus sends the demons away. He removes them from the man, but he doesn't just send them off. He even controls their destination. He doesn't send them out in in a way that they can harm others. He sends them out to their demise. You might say, well, Pastor, that's an intense story, but here's where it matters for you and for me. There's a much deeper spiritual reality going on because there is the reality that The man who came to him was unclean, but now he's clean. Even a demon-possessed man who had been shunned by society, who, who many would say is out of reach of God, was not beyond the reach of Jesus' love and of his compassion. The intensity of the moment did not scare Jesus away. He entered into it and brings cleaning to a man who was unclean. And I want you to know that Jesus can do this for you and for me as well. You see, this powerful story shows us the first of three very specific ways today that Jesus delivers his people from darkness. And the first one is he removes our uncleanness. Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Through his life, through his death on a cross, through his resurrection, Jesus makes spiritual cleansing and forgiveness possible through repentance and faith. I want to make sure you understand that. It is not just, yeah, Jesus does that. Well, that's what Jesus does, so he just removes it. No, it's through repentance and faith. This is why Jesus declared in Mark 1 verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand in him. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Friends, Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. It's him. It's Jesus. Now, when we're talking about things that are unclean, you're talking about a demon-possessed man who has obviously done many terrible things. The city shunned him. I'm sure there are some of us here today who had a hard time coming into a church this morning some of you would say pastor that is a powerful story but you don't know the significance of my guilt you don't know the significance of the shame that I carry I'm not sure that Jesus can truly cleanse me let me point your attention back to the story The man was possessed by a demon and Jesus brought cleansing. The man was shunned by all and Jesus brought cleansing. Whatever you've done, as you run to Jesus, surrender it to him, repent of your sin and believe in the gospel, Jesus can forgive you. That's the good news. For all who repent and believe, Jesus brings cleansing. He brings new life. Now, let's continue in our story. The herdsmen fled. Verse 14. And they told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. And he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen him described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And we're going to stop there. After seeing thousands of pigs with evil spirits rush off a cliff into the sea to their demise, this portion of the gospel narrative might be a little bit for, easier for you and I to understand. If we're standing there in that moment and we see this stuff happening, I'm guessing that most of us would be a little afraid. I'm guessing that most of us would look at this and we'd think, what is happening right now? If you were the herdsman who were carrying for the pigs, you were the crowd, it would be easy to understand why they were afraid. I'm guessing that if we watched all of that happen, we would be the same. We can understand this text. Add to it the idea that your job is tending to the pigs, and suddenly 2,000 pigs just run down an embankment, and they're gone. That's a bad day at work. (laughs) but then I want us to think about what they saw of the wild man what did they see when they looked at him they saw this man who was living in tombs they saw this man who had been bound by chains the man who was crying and cutting himself he was now sitting he was chilling in common clothes calmly He'd been changed. He'd been changed. You see, he put all the pieces together, and it's easy to see why they reacted to Jesus the way that they did. They understood in that moment clearly who Jesus was and the kind of spiritual authority that he carried, that he had in himself, and frankly, they wanted no part of him. Go away. That's the message that they had for Jesus. Go away. You know, this part of our story helps us see what Jesus is about. When we look at the life of the wild man, we see that Jesus restores our humanity. Jesus restores broken people to be fully human. You see, the change that we see in the wild man is absolutely profound. In a moment, this man's life had been changed. It happened immediately. Jesus still brings transformation today. First, he draws us to faith. And then he molds us and shapes us into his image. The grace of Jesus Christ is still changing lives today. For all who run to him in repentance and faith, Jesus still restores our full humanity. Church, that's amazing news. There's no way around that. That is amazing news. And yet we have a problem. We can look at that text and say, that is phenomenal news, that is the good news, that is the power of the gospel, and yet we have a problem because many of us, even men and women and children of faith, really are not all that interested in the transforming power of Christ. Many of us go about our days with hearts that actually look a lot more like the herdsmen. When Jesus comes upon us and comes to our life, we say, Jesus, don't mess with my source of income. Don't mess with my pigs, whatever those pigs are. Don't mess with my income, Jesus. We say, Jesus, don't mess with my reputation. I've got a certain thing going on over here right now, and I don't want you to mess with it. So we keep him at an arm's length. Wait, like family, if you're holding Jesus at an arm's length today, may I encourage you stop. Don't allow Jesus to mess with your finances. Allow Jesus to disturb your reputation and the things that make you comfortable. Allow Jesus, even in this moment, to disturb your faith for his kingdom purposes. Allow him to mess with your finances, your comforts, and your faith for his kingdom purposes. I love what author Rick McKinley says about this kind of surrender when we come to Christ. Here's what he says He says, Jesus didn't come to remodel your life, he came to be your life. He's not remodeling, he's transforming. He came to be your life. Now let's wrap up our look at today's text, turning down to verse 18. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He begged Jesus that he would be with him, and he did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. (laughs) Well, Decapolis may sound, it literally means 10 cities. That's what that means. Kind of sounds like a, interesting place to go. What we're talking about here are 10 Gentile cities that Jesus tells the man, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them your story. So that's where the overjoyed man went. what he did. The man who had been transformed, that's exactly what he did. He goes to tell others about the one who had radically transformed his life. So we begin with a man who is unclean, and Jesus cleanses him. We begin with a man whose humanity has been destroyed, and Jesus restores him. And ultimately, Jesus does something else. He now commissions him. That's the cool part. When you and I come to faith, Jesus commissions his followers to gospel ministry. I'm going to say that one more time. When Jesus calls us to faith, he commissions us to gospel ministry. If you are here this morning and you would say, Jesus has raised me from death to life, If you were here today and you would say, I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus upon the cross. His work on the cross is applied to me. If you would say today, I have been restored by God's amazing grace, then guess what? You have been commissioned. Jesus commissions you to tell someone. I want to pay special attention to that text because it totally wipes out a lot of our excuses. Consider this. The man had not been trained on how to share his faith. He hadn't taken any courses on evangelism, hadn't gone through a Bible study, He didn't have much Bible knowledge and he certainly didn't have his theology nailed down. Jesus simply told him to go. Go and tell what the Lord has done in your life. That's what we see in the story. Jesus commissions those he loves. I want to close today with a story. It's my own. 35 years ago, yes, I'm that old. (laughs) 35 years ago this month, I was in my freshman year of college. And that's when Jesus called me to repentance and belief. I'd grown up in the church. I knew many Bible stories. I was familiar with the idea and the reality of Jesus dying on a cross. It was on a fall Sunday in October that God revealed to me my need for grace. So in a simple prayer of repentance, I placed my faith in Jesus. I believed in the gospel. You know what I didn't fully understand was all the theological and biblical ramifications of what had happened. But I knew something was different. I was changed. But I also knew something else. I knew that I wanted to tell those that I love. I wanted to the people that I cared about most to know how God had changed me. White Lake family, if God has changed your life, Go tell someone. If God has changed you from the inside out, start with your loved ones. Tell your friends. Move out to your coworkers. It doesn't need to be rich in Bible, rich in doctrine. What it needs to be is about your genuine faith in Jesus Christ and how he's changed you. If you were in faith today, you are called to the ministry of telling others what Jesus has done for you. So go and tell. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family.